This evening to our evening worship service. It's good to see each of you. Close the Lord's Day together. Uh, our weekly schedule is now just Reformation study on Tuesdays, and a reminder that this Wednesday is the first Wednesday of the month. So we will eat together at 6, and then at 7 o'clock there is the adult prayer meeting and the kids' clubs and the youth group will all be meeting here at the church at, at 7. So please come for uh, the fellowship together over dinner and then uh, the events to follow. And then a reminder as well that this Saturday is the men's breakfast. So uh, please, men, sign up for that on the uh, sign-up sheet that is in the Welcome Center if you're able to come. Uh, and we look forward to that uh, breakfast together and uh, try to read chapter two of the book uh, prior to eating together. Uh, and it is, uh, again, this last week, we rejoice at the birth of little uh, Benjamin Nathaniel Ely. And uh, it's good to see Ned and Penny and Teddy here with us tonight. And we just, uh, again, rejoice at the birth of this of this little one. Um, any other either announcements? or prayer requests. We did mention, um, so uh, remember tag sale, uh, the mission, Rally for Missions is the 24th. You can begin to bring things in beginning next Sunday. Um, and so, uh, but we look forward to that. Please sign up uh, on the wall across from the Welcome Center for ways that you can be involved. Anything else? Yes, Bruce. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sure. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you did. Thank you. Anything else this evening? All right. Well, we've gathered to worship the Lord. Let's uh, spend a moment in silent prayer. Amen, and you may stand for our call to worship. It's taken from Jesus' words to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Well, let's sing together now. Uh, it's Psalm 100, Psalter Selection 100A out of our Trinity uh, Psalter hymnals. 100A, and then we'll remain standing for prayer. Wow. 
Lord, together in prayer. Lord, we do enter your gates this evening with thanksgiving. We fill your courts with uh, praise. You have invited us into your presence uh, through uh, that shed blood of Jesus Christ. We are thankful, O Lord, uh, that the way has been opened uh, for us uh, through the veil, that is, even through Christ and his uh, sacrificial death for sinners like us. We thank. We are so thankful that we have a great high priest in heaven ever interceding for us, and that it is through him that we bring uh, the fruit of our lips, even praise to your name. O oh Lord, we ask now that you would be amongst your people as we worship you. We do desire to worship you uh, with a spiritual worship that is according to truth. Uh, Lord, we desire that everything we do would Uh, reflect the truth of your word, that it is your word which would be sung and prayed, would be your word read and taught and proclaimed. O Lord, uh, do these things and work in our hearts for your glory. We do believe, O Lord, that we have been made by you. We have been made in order that we would know you. We have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the free gift of your grace. And we believe a well, as well, O Lord, of the hope that is laid up for us uh, in, uh, uh, in heaven and in the sure return of our Lord and Savior. So, Lord, bless your people now this hour, we pray. Uh, we pray for churches throughout the world as, uh, as we come to the close of this Lord's Day. O God in heaven, might it be truly a market day for the soul. Uh, we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. You can remain standing now. We're going to sing hymn number 498, a wonderful hymn about the love, uh, about, or about our glorious Lord Jesus and our love for him. I will sing of my Redeemer.
be seated. Please open with me now in the scriptures to Matthew chapter 8. We'll read the first 17 verses together, Matthew 8, verses 1 through 17. Uh, In the last three chapters of Matthew, uh, we saw Jesus, the preacher, delivering the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Now in Matthew chapter 8, we have recorded five different miracles which Jesus performed, uh, verifying that the one who preached is none other than than the Son of God. Uh, Three of the miracles take up the verses that we will read today, Jesus' cleansing of a leper, the faith of a centurion, and then Jesus entering Peter's house and healing his mother-in-law as as well, uh, in addition to many others. And uh, we see in these verses, on the one hand, Jesus' power. Uh, Jesus is able to cleanse just at a touch or even at a word. We see Jesus' compassion also on a variety of different people who were suffering greatly. We see also an example of great faith, especially in the case of a centurion, a Gentile, who uh, believed that Jesus was uh, able to act. He himself uh, had those who were under, uh, or he was under authority, and who had soldiers under him, he understood that uh, the Lord Jesus was one who had great authority, who was able to act in great ways. And he serves as an example to us, might we, like the centurion, uh, rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ uh, entirely. So let's hear now these, uh, these three miracles, Matthew 8, 1 through 17. Uh, When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. To the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. 
That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. It sends us reading in God's word. Well, brothers and sisters, let's together approach uh, God's throne of grace in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, our uh, God and Heavenly Father, we do approach your throne. We believe that it is a throne of grace. We, along with this Gentile centurion, are Gentiles who have been called into your kingdom. We know, Lord Jesus, that you are truly the Son of God. We know that you have all power and all compassion. You do it according to your sovereign will. You are able to save to the uttermost. And we praise you for this. Lord, we thank you uh, that uh, you are the all-sufficient Savior uh, that we need. We thank you as well, Lord, that having begun a good work in us, you will bring it to completion, even until that day of Jesus Christ. We need not fear uh, that angels or powers or angels or demons or principalities, powers, any created thing at all should be able to ever separate us from your love to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are truly more than conquerors in the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you for this. Indeed, we say, as we just sung together, I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to me. Lord, we pray that that love of Jesus for us would be the theme of our song today, but into this week as well, for the weeks and months and years that are to come. Lord, we pray that you would keep us from believing the devil's lies, that you'd keep us from all temptation and sin, that you, Lord, would grant that we would increase in holiness that we'd take greater delight and obedience to you, that we would be enraptured by your love for us, that we would consider it our great aim and goal in life uh, to know you and to walk with you and to reflect you to a watching world. Lord, we pray that you would bless this gospel light, this lampstand that you have placed in West Springfield, Massachusetts. And Lord, we cannot do anything apart from your power. We live only by your grace, and we pray earnestly, O Lord our God, that this unity of the Spirit and the uh, bonds of peace would be maintained uh, in our midst. Uh, We pray, Lord, that we would be one in doctrine and one in love. Uh, We pray, O gracious God, that you would give wisdom to elders and to deacons in this place amidst the various um, uh, callings that we have. Uh, We pray for each and every member of this church that we would serve you in love, serving and loving one another truly from the heart. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your mercies in so many ways to this congregation. We do pray again indeed for little Benjamin uh, Nathaniel Ely. Thank you for this precious new life. Uh, Lord, we pray that from an early age he would know you, that you'd give grace to Ned and Christina, as they now have three little ones in the home, and that, Lord, that 
uh, you would give them wisdom, that you'd give them strength and perseverance, that you would, oh Lord, bless those labors, uh, even that these children might know you and love you from an early age. Uh, Lord, our God in heaven, we do pray for this great nephew of uh, Rich and Donna's, of uh, little Giuseppe, an eight-month-old child with this uh, terrible virus. And Lord, we pray for healing for this little baby. Uh, And would you give grace to the parents? And would you work through this, Lord, for your glory, we pray. Please heal this child and uh, again, be be near unto them uh, for your glory. Lord, we uh, do pray as well for Jeannie Morin and uh, this cataract surgery. We pray that it would be able to be accomplished and uh, that it would be successful, that it would go well. Uh, Lord, be near to her, we pray. We uh, thank you for the recovery that Emily is experiencing uh, from the surgery she had this last Friday and the removal of these uh, kidney stones. And Lord, we pray that you would be near to her as she recovers. We pray that the healing would go well. Uh, Lord, uh, bless her. We pray for our dear sister in Christ, Pat Murray, and we thank you for some of the healing that she's experienced these last couple of weeks, and we continue to lift her up before you. We pray as well for Nancy Burchin, and Lord, we ask that you'd be near to her and her weakness, that you would bless her husband, Mark, as he ministers to his wife, and Uh, Lord, we pray that they would know of your goodness and grace amidst uh, uh, just the the human frailty that that she's experiencing. Uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, you are good and kind to us. We pray for uh, our dear sister Jessie and the carpal tunnel surgery, especially as she goes to meet soon with a surgeon about that, and also for the difficulties that she's having uh, with her knee, Lord. And we pray that you'd be near to her and that you would heal her body uh, with regard to these things. We continue to pray for our sister Colleen Zalewski, that you would bring healing uh, to her body also. O Lord, our God, uh, thank you. You are good to us. Bless our congregation in the days that lie ahead. Bless the cause of the gospel throughout the world. Uh, We pray for the various missionaries that we support, especially this month. We are lifting up Abe and Rachel Powell for their labors among the people of the Upper Valley. Lord, would you uh, give to them success, even as different arrangements are being made, uh, uh, Lord, for uh, just adjustments in their ministry as they have left one organization and are uh, seeking other uh, paths. Lord, we ask that you would give them wisdom in all of these things, uh, that you'd bless their family, and that you would open up the way that they very soon would be able to return and that the work would be speeded, and Lord, that many would come to believe in Jesus Christ, uh, ultimately through uh, their labors. Do these things, we pray. We long for you to be glorified in all the various languages of this earth, among the various peoples. Uh, Would you do this, we pray, and we do pray all of these things now in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. We'll now take up our evening offering.
I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19. 1 Kings, chapter 19. The scripture reading is taken from the very end of the chapter, beginning at verse 19 and reading through verse 21. 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. Hear the word of God. So he departed there and found Elisha, the son of Shephet, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So ends the reading of God's word. Let's join our hearts in prayer. We thank you, O Lord, for the revelation of yourself that you have given to us in this, the Bible, which is your word to us. We thank you that you are the living God, the God who has acted in history. You are mighty and powerful. You do great things. We ask, O oh God, that those great things might continue even in our own lives and hearts, that we might know your power, that we might know your grace, that as we read and meditate upon your word, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would call us, that you would that you would so work that we would respond. We ask all these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Have you ever had an unexpected encounter with someone who changed the course of your life? Well, I know the answer to that. If you're a Christian, you have. That is what happened to Elisha as he was busy plowing his fields. And it happens to everyone that the Lord calls to himself. I'd like to speak to you tonight about the Lord's call of Elisha to serve as a prophet of the Lord and the Lord's call of you and of me. Elisha was outdoors. He was plowing behind oxen and he was doing a physical work that required some physical strength and a certain amount of attention and concentration. When the prophet Elijah walked by and did something to him, which consisted of an invitation, you might say, or maybe more strongly, a summons, to serve as his disciple and to be his assistant, to be his servant, to be an under-prophet under Elijah. 
But I'd like for us to notice the way in which God called Elisha to serve as a prophet, but I'd like to do it in such a way that we give attention to also the Lord's call upon each and every one who is called to follow Jesus. So I'm going to try to encapsulate the main idea with, the, with this sentence. When the Lord Jesus calls us to follow him, he invites us. When the Lord Jesus calls us to follow him, he invites us, he quickens us, and he equips us to serve him. When the Lord Jesus calls us to follow him, he invites us, quickens us, and equips us to serve him. I'd like to approach these three verses in, by asking three questions and trying to give an answer to them. First, why was Elisha chosen? And second, what does the symbolic action of Elijah mean? And how did Elisha respond to Elijah's invitation? First of all, then, why was Elisha chosen? If I get through this night without confusing these names, it will be a miracle. Verse 19, we read these words, So he departed from there, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. And uh, I wanted to just pause and notice the word so. So, he departed from there. Well, where is there? Well, you remember from last time, Elijah had visited Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. He was discouraged and uh, he was feeling a sense of great loneliness, but a great burden because Israel had forsaken the covenant. And uh, he was under a death warrant as Ahab and Jezebel were seeking his life. And Elijah appealed to the Lord, and he brought a case against Israel that Israel had broken the Lord's covenant. The Lord ended up agreeing with Elijah, and he told him to go from Horeb and to anoint those who would be the instruments of bringing God's judgment on the northern kingdom of Israel and the house of Ahab in particular. He also assured Elijah that he was not alone, that there were 7,000 who had not bowed the knee to Baal. Words that the Apostle Paul would use later when he would speak of the Israel of his day and say that though official Israel had rejected their Messiah, there were those who were the remnant who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who had been sent to save them from their sins. And so the Lord had told Elijah to go and return and to anoint uh, Hazael, king of Syria, and Jehu, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of 
Ebel Meholah, and you shall anoint him to be prophet in your place. So Elijah was commissioned by God to act. And so the word so in verse 19 refers to God saying to Elijah, go. God said to Elijah, go. So Elijah went. And that's a simple point, but it's something to notice. Elijah was following the instructions of the Lord. He was obedient, you know, and God calls us to be obedient to his word, to his commandments. And it's interesting and helpful to see that Elijah the prophet did as the Lord told him to do. So ought we also to do that. The reason that God chose Elisha is that the Lord had intended for Elisha to serve a sort of internship under Elijah until he would be, at some future time, anointed to take Elijah's place. The Lord was graciously providing a way for Elijah to step aside, for Elijah, uh, in a sense, to not have to be involved in active, active ministry. And that was the purpose for Elisha's call, the call of Elijah that originated with God. It was God's plan, it was God's purpose that one should succeed another, that Elijah should be succeeded by Elisha. And it's a reminder that no matter who God calls to conduct the ministry that he has for them, it is the covenant people who are supplied with those men whom God has called. And uh, that we see playing out in the church even today. So we see that Elijah passes by and he casts his cloak upon Elisha. I want to look at the symbolism of that act. But before I do, I want us to consider this. While we're dealing with redemptive historical event, which is unique and non-repeatable, it is important for us to know this fact, that as God called Elisha to his service, so he calls each and every Christian. God calls you and me. And if you are a Christian tonight, God has come unexpectedly in your life and called you, just like Jesus with Simon and Andrew, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus saw them as they were casting their net into the sea, and he said to them, follow me. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He did that with the other disciples as well. They were not expecting it, and yet the call of Jesus on them changed their life forever. The Apostle Paul writes of this call, that God calls you. God has called you. 
And he does this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. He says these words. He says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved of the Lord. First, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit, through belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God chose us before the foundation of the world to be the first fruits, to be those who are sanctified by the Spirit through belief in the truth. He called you at a particular time, in a particular way, God called you, if you are in Christ tonight, Paul wrote to the Romans, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Romans 8.30, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. I want you to note again the link there from call to glory. God calls and then he leads us to glory. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, what is effectual calling? Effectual calling, the answer is, is the work of God's Spirit whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, pause on that, convinces us of our sin and our misery. We're convicted that we are sinners and we feel the need for salvation. He convinces us of our sin and misery. He enlightens our minds in the knowledge of Christ. He renews our wills. He doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ as he's offered to us in the gospel. That's how the Shorter Catechism defines effectual calling, that persuasion and enabling, that quickening of the the will. After being enlightened with the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the will is quickened, and there is a response. The embrace of Christ can happen in so many different ways. It always happens through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It happens when our minds first are enlightened to learn of him and to know him, and then when the Holy Spirit takes our heart and quickens us. And it is a, it is a private visitation. It is a visitation upon your heart by Almighty God. It is as though you're listening to someone, maybe a friend, maybe the preacher, saying, come to the waters. And you feel as though God is speaking directly to you. And he's calling you. Come to Christ and to drink of living water. And Suddenly you're in church and you're 
hearing this, and it's as though God is visiting your very soul. And you can't help it. You're convicted, and you respond to that call of God. It is a quickening thing. It is a quickening visitation. Jesus said that everyone whom he calls, he says, they hear my voice. There is a moment when before you didn't, and now you do. There is a moment when a change occurs, and suddenly it is the word of God that is real and true your own soul, and you are hungry, and you are thirsty, and you come to Christ. I pause each and every one in that most beautiful way. Second thing I'd like for us to consider is the symbolic action that Elijah made upon Elisha. I want to return to the the cloak that he cast upon Elisha, that Elijah casts upon Elisha. And uh, I came across a word that might be helpful, and I'm sorry for the fact that it's a big word. I'm going to throw it out there to you. The word investiture. It comes from a Latin preposition meaning in, The verb vestir means to dress, or vestis means a robe. So an investiture is when someone is clothed with a garment that indicates office or symbolizes conferred power. Vestiture is when someone is clothed with a garment that indicates office or conferred power. But what is the Lord doing when he calls Elisha? What is the Lord doing? He's calling him to be a prophet. Now that is a unique thing, that God called Elisha to be a prophet. You know, and God still calls men not to be prophets in the sense of the recipients of new revelation, but he calls men into the ministry of the word of God. He calls that them from other occupations often and and leads them to uh, that, that ministry. And that call includes both an inward sense that they have in their own conscience and mind that God is calling them to pastoral ministry And it is also a call that is confirmed by others, most importantly, those who hold office in the church. We see this in Elijah. Elijah is God's instrument for issuing a call from God that Elisha should serve as a prophet after him to take his place. And the cloak is a symbol of God's call on Elisha. Elisha begins to follow Elijah. And he is discipled by Elijah. So Jesus also discipled 12 men 
who served with him and listened to him and watched him and were shaped and molded by him. So we're reminded also of Paul and Timothy. Paul being a father in the faith, Timothy being taught by Timothy, being taught by the Apostle Paul, uh, being instructed in the letters that Paul wrote to him. Philip Ryken, in his commentary, tells a story of how John Knox uh, began uh, his ministry. He was a bodyguard for George Wishart. And Wishart uh, traveled throughout Scotland preaching. John Knox listened to Wishart preach so many times that along the way he learned how to preach himself. When Wishart was burned at the stake, John Knox was ready to take his place as a preacher of the gospel to Scotland. And so we see that it is often the case that one follows another and is trained by and discipled by another. And that's God's method. It's also the case that God, in a sense, the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to be his disciples when we become Christians. That the Lord casts a kind of a cloak or a mantle upon us. Now, it's not a literal cloak or mantle, but it is as though Christ, from his heavenly throne, Pass his spirit into the hearts of his children, of his elect, when he calls them. And so one way that the Old Testament describes the possession of the spirit so that someone would begin to prophesy is that they would be clothed with the spirit. One way that one illustration of this is Gideon. We're told that the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet. The Old Testament scholar Raymond Dillard writes, the Old Testament usage underlies the New Testament language that describes, that associates clothing imagery with the possession of God's Spirit that is, being in Christ. So all those whom Jesus calls to be his disciples, he, as it were, cast his mantle upon them. As many as of you as were baptized into Christ, Paul writes to the Galatians, have put on Christ, have been clothed with Christ. Amazing language associating even the ceremony of baptism with the idea of being clothed with Christ, that his spirit dwells in his children and causes his character to take form in them. 
And so that the Christian life is actually a life in which we continue to clothe ourselves with Christ. Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's clothing. How do we do that? Well, in his epistle, he gives you specific instructions as how to clothe yourself with Christ. For example, speech. Put away falsehood, he says. Speak only the truth. Anger. We all get angry. Paul says, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Stealing. Don't steal. Don't take that which doesn't belong to you. But do honest work. Honest work is clothing yourself with Christ. Talk. Don't let your speech be corrupted. Don't tear other people down. Don't corrupt other people with your language, with your tongue. But say things that are for building others up. That's to clothe yourself with Christ. Peter said, clothe yourselves with humility toward people. To adopt a standard of humility and love is to clothe yourself with the mind of Christ, which he himself had when he came from heaven to bring our salvation. And of course, we have in the Bible that image of the righteousness of Christ being a robe of righteousness with which he clothes us so that when God looks upon us, he sees the righteousness of his son, not our unrighteousness. That righteousness that is imputed to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Clothing plays a big part in the way in which God, to explain, or to use a metaphor, to explain the way in which our character is shaped and how we are formed as Christians. It is as though God casts his mantle upon us. And you know, there's one more thing to this that is most beautiful. If God clothes us with the Spirit of Christ, that indicates that is the sort of the process of the Christian life. There is, the Bible says, a further clothing. A further clothing that he mentions in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I just want to read this. Paul writes, For while we were still in this, while we are still in this tent, referring to this body, we groan, being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but that we should be further clothed. What is that further clothing? That what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. And he has given us his spirit as a guarantee, a down payment, a guarantee of that which is to come. 
And so if it is the case that God, by the sending of His Spirit, cast the mantle of Christ upon us, and if it is the case that the whole of the Christian life can be conceived of being further clothed with Christ and putting off of the old and putting on of the new man, then it is also true and must be said that when this body is laid in the grave and when Christ returns, we, that which is mortal, will be swallowed up in life everlasting. We will be further clothed in the glory that Christ now has. What an amazing thing that God should provide for us in this way. We all have this deep awareness As you go past through the years of life, an increasing awareness that the horizon is becoming shorter and that mortality is affecting us more. And the hope of glory is that hope that God has placed before us of being swallowed up, being swallowed up in life itself, and that we will be further clothed. I want us to look thirdly, as we have considered why it is that God called Elijah, and secondly, um, what does this calling mean? What is the mantle, the meaning of this mantle that was cast upon Elijah? How then, finally, did Elisha respond to the call? How did he respond to the call? Well, we're told in verse 20, he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. So he left, you know, you gotta try to imagine, this, this is, uh, these three verses describe a man who is in the field plowing. He's got oxen ahead of him, and he's got a plow in his hands. And he has a cloak thrown upon him. And what does he do? He leaves the oxen. That's a little scary. He left the oxen, and he ran after Elijah. That running can't be missed. He left the oxen, and he ran. But the next phrase puzzles us. Let me go home and kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. You know, you know why it puzzles you? Because it reminds you of, a, of, of an event and words of Christ when someone came to Jesus after he had been invited to follow Jesus. He, this man said to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but, let, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In those verses, it's hard not to see Jesus as referring to this event. And so people read this and they say, well, what is Elisha doing? Is he to be faulted here? I would argue that that would be a misreading and for these reasons, first, 
the immediate response of Elisha is to run to Elijah. You have to know his running. And then secondly, his asking to go and to kiss his parents and say goodbye to them expresses the fact that he intended to say goodbye. He saw himself as ending one way of life and beginning another. And then also when he says, when he uh, takes the, the equipment for plowing, and he takes the oxen and he slaughters them, and he offers a sacrifice to God, it is also an indication of his leaving the old and entering into a new. And then Elijah's response is, is, is not easy to understand. He says in, in the ESV translation, go back again for what have I done to you? What kind of a response is that? Go back again for what have I done to you? Uh, the commentator Kyle suggests this translation and I think it makes more sense. Um, so the question what have I done to you, is emphasizing his previous permission, which is go, return. Uh, the ESV um, says um, go back again. But in Hebrew it is go, it's two words, go, return. And so Kyle says there's the permission that Elijah is giving, go, return, i.e., of course you may return and say goodbye. What have I done to prevent that? That is the uh, interpretation of, of uh, Kyle, and it makes the most sense here. And we're told in verse 21 that he took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yoke of the oxen and gave it to the people. So Elisha calls the neighbors and he holds a gathering of all of his friends and family. And he has a departure meal. And of course this is to show the fact that he intends to begin a new venture in his life, that he is leaving farming. He has burned the, uh, the yoke. He uses that to, uh, to uh, roast, to boil the, uh, the meat. And he invites all of his neighbors and his friends to come and to witness this clear break that he makes with his past profession, which is farming. It's going to be a fall. It's going to follow Elijah. So what then? is the appropriate response when God calls us. It is to run. It is to run. It is also to be willing to make a clear break with the past and to follow Jesus Christ without reserve, without hesitation. It is, I, from now on, belong to you. Lord Jesus, I will follow you. I will be your disciple. I will do what you say. 
that you would have me to do. That is what it means to be a Christian. That is what it means to follow Jesus Christ. It is that wholehearted commitment of leaving the past, leaving what is behind, and from this point on, following Jesus. Are you doing that? Is it your deepest desire to leave whatever it is that would interfere with this new life of discipleship of Jesus Christ? Whatever sin, whatever practice, whatever would keep you from that active discipleship and that active learning of being with Jesus. You see, the disciples, when they followed Jesus, they had to leave their nets They had to leave their fishing, and they had to be with Jesus. And so it is true for you. We need to be with Jesus. How do we be with Jesus? Every day, we seek his presence. But most importantly, we do it corporately together as a a church when we gather to hear the voice of Christ as he preaches to us from his word. Jesus passed by Matthew sitting in a tax booth and he said, follow me. And you know what Matthew did? What Levi did? He followed Jesus. That's what you need to do. You need to follow Jesus. Jesus calls you and there is no other response but for you to leave everything to follow him. Remember to what he calls you. Yes, he calls you to a life of service, and Elisha was to be a servant or an attendant to Elijah. It was a lowly task at first. He was not Elijah's equal. And yet he made himself in that position of being lower that he might learn that which Elijah had to teach him. So we place ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ and do the same. Remember to what he has called you. He chose you. He has called you through the gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are here tonight. You hear the word of God. You hear the voice of Jesus speaking in his word. I urge you, don't forget it. Don't walk away. Don't get busy with other things. Get alone. Get down on your knees. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive my sin and enable me to follow you from this point on. May it be that each and every one of us be doing that daily. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this call that you have placed upon this man so long ago which pictures for us 
that change that took place in his life. He reminds us that indeed the Lord Jesus has called us to be his disciples. May we follow him. Oh God, may we follow him. Work in us that we might do so, we pray. By the power of your spirit and your word, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As a hymn of response, let's sing together hymn number